to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Fast Five. It is March 27th, 2020, and we are all sheltered in place here in Minneapolis. But we've got the whole crew together this week, believe it or not. We've got Ann, we've got Emma the intern, and Carter Jetson. How are you guys doing today? I woke up this morning and was so excited just to like see all four of us in one virtual spot. I texted you guys was like, I cannot wait to be back in the mix. It's going to, it's going to be great. And it is great. It is. It's great, man. It's good to have you, buddy. Uh, that you've got, like, it looks like you're coming to us from the Carter Jensen fallout shelter there. Yeah. You know, this this is like 1950s half upstairs sure has come in handy for, uh, Kelly and I, as we've kind of created our own little, uh, Jensen HQ here as the little one sleeps downstairs. So yes, it might look odd. However, this room has come in so handy and even behind me, I got my little at home workout center. We're staying active, staying healthy. It's all good. Is that a Peloton? It is. Just to further, you know, embrace my millennial oh, status, there is a nice. Peloton sitting behind me. And if you're really lucky, you know, I might just jump on that mid fast five and, you know, do Oh a God, I reps. hope so. Oh, I hope so, Carter. Don't, don't tempt those video watchers, Carter. Don't tempt those video I watchers. Know, I don't know. Got the backwards ball cap in the Peloton. Uh, you never know. Emma, where are, you, where are you at today? Are you in Jersey? Where are you, Emma, the intern? I'm Upstate in Pope, New York. New York. <laughs> Downstate. <laughs> Sorry, awesome. Emma. Let's say again, where are you right now? You're in Pokewag, New York. Pokewag. Wow. What's, what's shaking? In, yeah, what's shaking in Pokewag these days? Absolutely nothing, but at least it's pretty. <laughs> Got the big E on the background there. I like that. And Anne, you're yeah. still at Third House. Like we're we're in, we're in like strict quarantine here at midnight tomorrow night. This is like your last day at Third House, right? Uh, yes. Thankfully, I won't be sitting in here anymore by myself. It's uh, <laughs> it's a big. <laughs> lonely dark space to be in by oneself uh when the rest of the world is sheltering in place but yes today is my last day <laughs> your last day. but hey you've been doing an awesome job this week i mean the amount of content you've been putting out and your women's retail collective podcast our whole four-part series this week has just been awesome so yeah lots of I, great women that have and and men who've been partaking in still recording the content for all of us to bring to you um the loyal omnitalk listeners uh, this week. So thanks to everybody for still being game for that because we got a lot of great content out. Yeah, a lot of great content. Okay, now one thing before we get to the headlines, and you know, it is our signature to try to bring candor, but also bring humor. And I think given where we are now, we're going to try to lean on the optimistic side and the humorous side of everything that's going on in retail. So we tried to pick a good cross section of stories this week to give you both. But we do have to follow up on one thing last week, which was there was a key question offered up first and foremost. And so Carter, this one goes to you. Carter, do you know what Land's End is? Uh, if you guys would look at my search history, you would see what is Land's End after... Uh, <gasps> no way! After we no! <laughs> no, I, you know, I was aware of it, obviously. And I actually text all my buddies and I, our group chain, you know, that has really come, come to life over the last you know, few days. I said, I said, does anyone know of or shop at Land's End? Thoughts? And I had one buddy who responded, and this is my best friend. And he was the one who was always wearing like the nicest clothes, even when he was like eight years old. But he did say, I shop there often. We have an online store there, super high quality and great customer service. But 
So, I mean, I, I'm going to give a W maybe to each of you. For me, like Lanza has <laughs> never been in the uh, purchase spectrum or the uh, potential for me. So uh, I listened to the Coles uh, story again this morning just to make sure I was uh, really on top of it. And yeah, it, it's fascinating. I, I will not be visiting anytime soon. Well, you know what, Carter, I have to tell you that we're just moving on on your millennial generation going right to Gen Z because Emma's coming in <laughs> for the tiebreaker because Emma, what is Land's End? Can you please answer the question for us? It's like an outdoors wear brand that I wore pretty much exclusively as a child. <laughs> But she does know about it. So I'm going to take the W on this one. Do you she own touched. any Land's End gear right now, Emma? Are you maybe wearing some I Land's still End? have a pair of, I have a pair of boots. I used to wear them when I volunteered on a farm, so I can't really wear them out anymore because they're <laughs> disgusting. But, but the, they were the warmest snow boots I've ever owned. Oh, dang. But you have to remember, too, though, that Emma's an old soul. And Emma's, like, Emma's favorite band is Boston and Mazinga. So, like, <laughs> oh, I'm you keep that in mind. But, yeah. Anne, you did find some interesting new oh. information, which is why we brought this up today on Land's End and their marketing push. We certainly did. Uh, we have a listener-submitted comment this week from Sarah Tilgis, who brought this late-breaking story that Land's End and Draper James, Reese Witherspoon's brand, are doing a swimwear partnership that will be released for this spring. So all of us sitting at home in quarantine can go to the Land's End site, and uh, they're also donating to an organization for uh, female body positivity as part of the proceeds of all the sales of the Draper James and Land's End collaboration. Um, you know, Chris, you did bring up last week about how this is like Oldsmobile trying to sell to uh, this future generation. But I will say that this is like the six degrees of Reese Witherspoon right now, because not only did Buick bring her back in Big Little Lies to represent the new enclave and, att- and attract that younger generation, but now Land's End is using Reese Witherspoon's brand to bring them back yeah, the dead. Well, you know what's funny about that six degrees of separation in more ways than one, and we'll get we'll get to the headlines here because I'm sure the audience is dying for that. But yeah, that's one thing I always that's how I always like to do my stretch. Let's do what Buick does. That's said no one ever. And then two fun fact: you did not know this about me. I went to college with Reese Witherspoon for a hot minute. Which she no, you didn't. For, I did too. This is a great story. She was there for one semester. We were freshmen together. And I acted in a play that she wrote, not a play, sorry. She wrote a script for a short movie that was played at the campus movie theater where I played, guess the character, the computer dork (laughs) (laughs) that creeped out a girl. It was really funny. I never met her, but she wrote the script. And if she's listening, hey, I'd love to find that video because God, Omnitech fans would love it. All right, well, let's get rolling here. Of course, we've got our sponsors, Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision-based checkout free system for the grocery industry using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms. Trigo converts real-sized stores, including a friction, introducing a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. And of course, Insignia. Insignia is the leader in in-store and mobile marketing. They are forward-looking and nimble, and Insignia pushes the boundaries for others to follow. With a suite of tactics, including signage, merchandising, display, and mobile, Insignia is the right partner to attract new shoppers and to grow your business. Insignia, be discovered. All right. 
in the same vein as Land's End, let's start off with something a little fun, a little, something a little off the beaten track, and take it away, story number one. For all those Land's End shoppers that aren't able to actually go to a store because the Land's End stores are currently closed, not to fear, Dillard's is still open. Dillard's, uh, based out of Arkansas, uh, with several stores in uh, Florida. Actually, most of the locations are in Florida where people are still partying on boats, uh, (laughs) even though we have social distancing requirements going on. Uh, Even in locations where the host mall for the Dillard's is closed, Dillard's remains open. Uh, There are some hilarious tweets on this right now. Of course, they're getting backlash from both sides, uh, the people who are still very much wanting to shop in a Dillard's and those who are concerned for the health and well-being of their employees. Um, One of my favorite tweets was, is there a reason my dental office has closed, but Dillard's is still open? Uh, or this note from an employee who said, what is scary is that people are coming in and touching everything because they are bored and we are still open for business, finding bullshit work to do. Excuse the expletive, but I thought that was key in this story. Why Dillard's needs to stay open during this crisis? You guys have to tell me. I don't know. I don't Carter, know. Carter, go. Yeah, it, it's the why. Like, what is the advantage? Is the hope maybe that, you know, the non-believers will all funnel into one location and they're actually going to see some uh, actual sales results from it? From those tweets, it doesn't sound like that's the case, right? So um, I, I'm just so curious the justification behind this, especially when you see such little retail traffic out there. You're paying a bunch of employees, you're paying utilities to keep things open, not to mention opening yourself up for a ton of risk, uh, especially in the next couple of weeks. I could not agree more. Like, I think the title of this segment has to be like, Dillard's No One Gives a you know what? Like I'm looking, if you haven't seen this too, Placer AI is doing a day-by-day tracker across like probably 20 or 30, maybe even 50 different retailers, but a ton of retailers. And so you can see what's happening. I just pulled up Dillard's here. Even though they're open, no one is still coming. Their traffic is down. It's significantly down. It's almost like non-existent. So what the hell are you trying to do? This makes no sense, except it is really fun, really, really fun to talk about. So... I'm glad it's there. I wonder what people are buying there. Like that's the question. Could, if you, you could know. pull the reports of like here's here's the sales and here are the categories. Is it like sparkly Easter sandals that people still want to wear in quarantine? I don't know. It's like surgical steel earrings or something. Isn't that a thing? Like I don't know. I remember I used my mom. I, it, who knows? I don't know. Surgical steel <laughs> posts. They used to yeah. write that on the back of the earrings. They like, did, right? The yeah. Yes. My yes. mom used to be like, "Get surgical steel." Here, Grandma <laughs> Amitot comes into play again. We in full stories. Oh. All right, let's hit story number two. Well, I was going to say, speaking of grandparents, uh, HEB is actually rolling out a grocery delivery service for seniors. So um, going that one step beyond really the supermarkets that have opened a dedicated seniors hour at the beginning of their of their uh, opening time, uh, the Texas grocer HEB has established a senior support line to provide populations most at risk, obviously the older loved ones in their life, um, a way to order essential products. So um, they're doing this in partnership with Favor Delivery, which it acquired by Back in 2018, a low-cost solution, really giving seniors that access to personal shoppers. And here's the kicker, and this is what I really wanted to actually talk about. It's all via phone. And I think that at times we take for granted the fact that we are super versed and super nimble and able to cruise through our smartphones, order whatever we want. We're texting back and forth with, you know, the Amazon delivery person when things are out of stock, things like that. Well, on the other side, like I'm just happy my grandma knows how to FaceTime so I can actually call her, right? And I think that what we look at this really, you know, vulnerable 
group of people and we say, well, isn't it great that grocery delivery is just spiking, is taking off, et cetera? Well, they can't take advantage of that as easily as we, we might be able to day in and day out. Now, before I open it up to comments, this reminded me of one of my favorite services that I had actually done a report on, like, I think it was over five years ago. There's a service called GoGo Grandparents. And what GoGo Grandparents did was it provided a 1-800 number to call an Uber or a Lyft. And so basically they staffed a call center that was a 1-800 number and all those people would do would stay on the line with grandma as they ordered a lift for, for her and would actually talk them through what was happening. All right, James is downstairs. He's in a red Prius. You, you know, it's paid for. We charge your credit card and they would charge a little thing on top. I just think it's amazing to figure out how do you take analog communication systems and connect them with some of the more innovative technologies that I think this group and us four and younger people take for granted. Yeah, I love this. I think it's so, I mean, it's, and to your point, Carter, it's not like, it's like digital grocery shopping is the best user experience to begin with. And so you kind of take this idea, start to morph it with other things, whether you're calling, whether maybe you're using some type of artificial intelligence through your voice to be able to, and then pop up on a screen to show you what is the best match. And it's more of a visual yes, no type of experience. Like there's a lot of cool ways this thing could go. Uh, in addition to the fact that, hey, kudos AGB again, just being such a part of the community and knowing, you know, what works for people uh, and what matters. And that's honestly probably the mother of invention in the long run, to your point. Yeah. And I think very smartly, one thing we didn't note is that AGB has curbed this to a limited list of items so that there isn't the back and forth. Because I think, yes, the phone line is critical to this being valuable to those seniors, um, especially seniors who live independently on their own. Um, but it's also not providing the back and forth opportunity that I think we're seeing that you typically see uh, in a store now with an Instacart or other delivery service. Mm-hmm. And also, they so it, it still costs them ten dollars, but uh, HEB has allowed that fund to go completely to the delivery person. So they've taken care of all of the fees up front, so that person is just getting the tip directly. Which and they've started a fund, so you can also donate to those seniors, um, fund, to the seniors fund to cover the the tip cost even. So. Yeah, we don't talk about them enough, but H-E-B, quite possibly, might want to be definitely top five retailers in the United States, if not one of, if not the best. So uh, kudos to them on that one. All right. So story number three, and again, bringing the candid headlines that despite everything that's going on that we think still really matter in the future of grocery, uh, Amazon, or a future of retail, and here is specifically around grocery, Amazon this week, uh, two important headlines were in the news. One, they were in the news again for opening up another Amazon Go store, potentially in London in 2020. So that'd be the first one outside the US. And then it is also reported that they are looking to purchase the real estate of former fairway markets uh, in the New York and New Jersey area, two sites in each of those states. I think this is fascinating. I mean, we've talked about the push to grocery, but here's why. And I'm curious to get your take on this, you guys. For me, if the coronavirus is going to do anything, I mean, sure, the obvious thing is we're all going to shop digital more because we're stuck in our houses. Yeah, okay, I get it. But that's not something I I really want to talk about or have that much to add because, yeah, it's just going to be a fact of life. What I think is the more interesting point here, though, is that Amazon in the physical world based on what they're doing and how they're doing it is going to be in a really good position after all of this is over. Look at Amazon Go. Look at the fact that you're putting sneeze guards up at Costco and Walmarts and things like that. Well, what do I not have to do at an Amazon Go? I don't have to talk to anyone. I can just go in and get out. 
What's the other thing that's going to happen? Well, probably people are just going to purchase groceries when they need them as quickly as they can and try to get those orders as quickly as they can. The basket sizes might start going down. They start might start making those trips in more of a convenience type of environment than just going to the grocery store like they've traditionally done. Who's ready to pick that up? Well, it's again Amazon. Here's the other thing that happens, and then my soap I get off my soapbox. Amazon's new grocery store. We've talked about this, and I talked about last week. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Like you're you're doing things you haven't done before in the physical world. Well, what's this going to allow? You're not going to be able to have a lot of people in the store at any given time. It's going to give Amazon even more time to perfect what a larger scale grocery experience is. I think all those points are the real interesting story here coming out of everything around coronavirus. It's not just the digital, but this probably gives them more room for error in all their physical experimentation too. What do you guys think? Am I crazy? Yeah, I think, I mean, for one, let's start with a fairway purchase. Like, can anybody compete in bidding against these stores? They got a $75 million overqualified bid for the four stores um, in the New York, New Jersey territories. I think um, Amazon will obviously do really well there. The median income in all those cities is around, you know, $55,000 plus and higher when you start to look at some counties like Westchester and other areas. So I think that's just a taste of what's to come throughout the rest of the countries. And, you know, all these regional grocers who, you know, can't get into the next wave of it or haven't been able to make the decisions or financially can't support that. Uh, Amazon, I think, is just going to come in and start taking over those stores as they go up for auction. And then second, the Amazon Go in London is really interesting because as we know, you have you know Tesco, um, Sainsbury's, other other um, retailers out of London who are testing cashierless checkout, who have been testing cashierless checkout for a while. And I think what's what I'm curious about is not only what will Amazon's uh, grocery presence or food presence look like in London with the Go concept, but also um, will they start to open this up to franchising in some of these areas um, for for some of the other. Uh, retailers in London to stay viable when you have a Tesco and a Sainsbury's already doing that internally and trying to kind of push that forward um, for the UK? Um, will will there be an opportunity for some of the smaller players to compete by just doing a franchised Amazon Go and, and putting that on every corner in the UK? Uh, and I think that's a really great point. I mean, the European angle is really fascinating uh, to me in the sense of Relative to the United States, it feels like there are far more mom and pop convenience type operations than there are here. And so now the question is, do you have the assets to convert those and do the mom and pop entrepreneurs have the assets to convert those? And will the technology work? We'll see. But man, there's so many, so, so many more. You know what I'm trying to say? There's so many more of those installations in Europe than there are, say, in the United States. But Carter, what do you think of all this? Amazon's got so much cash to Anne's point. I mean, they can go buy up these places here in the United States. And I think, um, you know, we're going to continue to see more of that. Now, I think the question is, is like, how? what are the types of changes they're going to make to these stores as they buy them, right? So we have all the cashier list technology. But you're talking about like huge potentially huge buildings, right? Like what else could be built out of there? Is it a shipping and receiving? Is it, and I think we've seen plans of some of the new, you know, layouts and things like that. You know, you're talking about um, with more delivery drivers coming in, you're having dedicated garages, dedicated inventory systems to make that all happen. I think it's interesting to see how, um, how they'll leverage some of that square footage as well. 
Emma, what's your take? I'm curious you're here. Let's get the Gen Z take. So, like, let's say you have the option. You can go do – when all all this is over, you have the option. You can go to an Amazon Go store. You can just walk in, check out. You don't have to stand in line. Or you go to the traditional grocery store. Which one are you picking? Well, especially after all of this, I am definitely going to, like, an Amazon Go. I went to my local stop shop the other day, and even though I did self-checkout, I was, like – touching the screen with the least amount of pressure that I could. It just, now it just feels safer, honestly, to not have to really interact with people in the grocery store and not have to touch like payment term- terminals or anything like that. So yeah, that makes tons I'm a of, fan of the We've been hearing that too, where like people are now already talking more about mobile payment options and things like that, where they don't have to touch the payment terminal to any extent possible. So, all right, let's keep on rolling. Number four, who's got that one? I've got that one. And so we're going to keep on this grocery uh, essentials train by talking about Costco's new announcement this week. So Costco began posting signs recently that it will no longer accept returns on six key items, including toilet paper, paper towels, rice, water, sanitizing wipes, and Lysol that consumers have been stocking up on in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Now, according to a source, I'm going to cite just in case we don't want to get any trouble here for misinformation, but the crazy coupon lady who.com, who I believe has done some pretty extensive research in this area and uh, has a significant following. She said that in addition to Costco, there are other stores Walmart um, apparently has been posting signs in uh, some of their stores throughout the country saying that they will not accept returns uh, from hoarders on water or toilet paper. There are also rumors that um, other companies like Target have implemented this in some of their stories as well, or some of their stores as well. Um, and Kroger, Albert, Albertsons, and Target, another trend um, that we uncovered here while we were doing some research for the story, have stopped returns altogether. So until the end of the month, in some cases, um, they will not return anything. So they're just trying to use that as kind of a lever to, um, to guarantee freshness and quality of the product so that they're not accepting returns that could uh, be contaminated right. with the coronavirus. However, CVS, Walgreens, and Sam's Club and Amazon are all maintaining their return purchase or return policies at this time. That'll be, that'll be really interesting to watch. Carter, as, I'm curious, this probably really affected you. Like, has this changed like what you were planning to do with all yeah, the right. stock? Well, you're well, not seeing behind me is my <laughs> bunker of toilet paper. Uh, no, I, I actually, I was gonna say there's a two edge store. There's a, there's a three pro- kind of prong reason why this is a thing. Uh, easiest one is obviously they don't want contaminated products coming back into the store. That's an easy one to define. Uh, the next one was I think that people started quickly realizing, these stores started quickly realizing they're going to have a supply chain issue on their hands in terms of, maybe not supply chain, but imagine everyone returning all that toilet paper and all of the stuff that's coming going to come back in, hopefully in the next couple of weeks and into the next couple of months. And what are you going to do with it all? They're going to have this backlog of toilet paper and all of that other stuff. And I mean, the one I didn't, Oh, sorry, Carter. Do we ever need to have a return allotment for toilet paper? Like, can that just be a thing that you just you yeah? Keep I don't. Them? You keep kind of like swimsuits, right? Um, <laughs> but like the, the 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 third one was my thought would be that putting up these signs and making these policies are potentially deterring this hoarding mindset because I think as a consumer you go in and say oh, well, you know, I might not be able to afford $400 worth of Lysol wipes, but you know what? I can always return it, right? You know, worst case scenario, I need it, but I can always come back and just return it. And so I think people might be buying uh, more than what they actually 
you know, need because of that mentality, because of that safety net. And I think if you, you know, if you keep the, if you put that in front and center in the aisle on, on the display, people are like, how many of these do I actually need right now? Because I'm going to potentially spend some money on it. I'm going to store it and I'm going to have it forever. And I think that that's going to allow more people to get their hands on the products they need and maybe deter some of the uh, hoarding that we have seen uh, plague some of our stores across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add on this one. I think my big question is just like, who does this to begin with? Like, I mean, first of all, just on a normal day, who's returning toilet paper? Yes, um, this was important, right? Like, that's a question. Like, it, it was funny. Emma put this as story number two on the Top Talk yesterday, and I was like, who returns a number two? And then I was like, uh, like I couldn't do that. Like I, I was like, to question number two. Like I, this, this doesn't make it. anyway. The, the wordplay didn't work, and that joke didn't fly at all. But like. No. Who does this? And then second of all, who does this right now? Like who is that dense to be like, I'm going to go stand in line so everyone can see me while I take back my toilet paper and my wipes. Like what do you, I I can't even imagine. Maybe you are trying to be altruistic in that. Like maybe people need it. I don't need as much, but like, man, I don't know. It just seems, it seems really far out there that, that, that anyone's even doing this, but it's probably good to get in front of it. I have a question, Chris. Oh God. Do they have, toilet paper in the Fenty beauty house? I don't know, but that is a really good segue. I'm guessing. I don't know. And the Fenty beauty house, it's probably bidet only, but let's go to Emma for story. Number five. It's so classy. Yeah. <laughs> I do right, love myself um, a good bidet. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going. Oh. Rihanna's Fenty beauty embraces TikTok. Targeting a Gen Z audience, Fenty Beauty has invested in its TikTok strategy, first forming a dedicated content creation house before tapping creators to promote the brand remotely. The Fenty Beauty hashtag has over 44 million views on TikTok, and hashtag Fenty Beauty House has gained 10 million views in three weeks. So, Emma, what should our listeners know about Fenty Beauty House? I actually, well... I had downloaded TikTok a few days ago, finally gave in. Nice. You were avoiding it this whole time, huh? Emma, what's your, can you, will you give your handle away? Or you want to keep that private? I don't even think I made a handle. Your user, 4,290, yeah. But I looked at the Fenty Beauty account and everything, and I understand that that's like, it definitely is targeting a Gen Z audience because that's how people like to shop. However, it was just videos and videos of people like just waving around the products and I was like, what good does this do for any, like, this doesn't show me how to use the products, what they're actually like. So I don't know. I'm just kind of weary on the whole TikTok extravaganza. <laughs> Anyone already, else? Yeah, who wants to right. like, next? Well, like, we did you know, an this interview is... this week. Sorry, one thing real quick. We did an interview this week with um, Deborah Leff, and she's, like, all into TikTok. She's, like, at IBM, and she's, like, you know, Gen X, like, so like this thing's happening. Carter, what's your take here? Uh, well, the take on TikTok or the tape on take on collab houses, hype houses, brand houses, <laughs> all of it, you know, all, all of it. it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as you know, these collab houses became kind of a thing probably 60, 90 days ago with the hype house in LA, you know, a bunch of influencers, teenagers who are making a ton of money, going in on a house and creating basically a party house to create content. I mean, what 18 year old wouldn't want to do that. Right. Um, you know, but I think, so that's, that's really how the things came out. And I think that brands quickly jumped on to say, well, how the heck do we get involved in TikTok? We know this is a thing. We know it's a grassroots kind of up and coming, uh, platform that, you know, not only, you know, 
younger generations are, are using, but also uh, influencers are using a lot and they're seeing a lot of traction with it. So I think brands have struggled to figure out what the best way in is. Um, people who've done their own content and built their own things such as Chipotle or even if you've seen the Washington Post TikToks, they're absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I think they're seeing a lot of success. Um, that you, like, I think the when I first looked at the house, there's some awesome pictures online about it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But Emma, after you did your read and actually, you know, talked about this, I'm I'm a little worried about the, you know, brandification of something that was built for creators, but then maybe just slapped a brand on top of it to the point of, well, what are you doing in the house? And you look at it and it's like, well, it's got a makeup station and it looks like a beautiful pool with a great view. But why, but why, like, what's the point? And like, I wonder if there are, uh, is there a more organic way for them to, uh, uh, to become part of the platform, become part of the movement rather than just simply spending a bunch of money on a house and hoping that people live there, which they aren't currently. Yeah, Carter, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, one, this is Fenty Beauty. Not every brand can put together a house and have the success that Fenty's had. And just for some context, I think um, the hype house that Carter mentioned, which for those of us listening who are more in the Gen X category and high, higher up, just so you understand what these content houses are, um, it's basically the real world for 2020. So they're putting a bunch of influencers in a house um, and then they're giving them, you know, the space to create content. Sometimes they're paid to live in the house. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes brands that they mention while they're in the house will pay them to mention the brand um, on the platform. But um, the hype house that Carter mentioned earlier, which started a few months ago, that uh, has only had 3 million views since that began. And Fenty Beauty has had 10 million views since Fenty Beauty House started. So just to give you some context of like, this is a huge brand that's able to do this. Not everybody will be able to do this. Um, and then TikTok, I think, is another thing to take a look at um, just from a brand and advertiser's perspective. The CPM for like Instagram advertising for brands right now is about $8 per CPM. And for TikTok, it's $10 right now, like just as it stands right now. So just to give you some insight into how valuable TikTok is as a platform, um, especially for well-known brands like Fenty, but I think there's still a lot of value for other brands who are coming into advertising or uh, brand sponsorships in this space. So I think it's important for us to pay attention to. We could yeah. do a whole section on TikTok if we wanted to. And I think it's it's fascinating how the last six months have really how it's evolved, you know, in waves. I'm not saying it's taken off like a rocket. Like it has obviously, but like, you know, there is also hesitation from it. And I, I, it's fascinating to kind of see both sides of the story. Well, oh, and Fenty, oh, sorry. One last point, Chris. Yeah, so ahead, Fenty yeah. Beauty, this house was the first house that was formed by a brand also. So important thing to note. So we'll see, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people trying to follow this, a lot of brands trying to follow this, but whether or not they have the success that Fenty did, one being the first and also having a really large following is something we'll have to see. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, and I think that is good. It's probably a good place to close to I think as cool as the house is, I don't think that's the story here. I mean, I think this, the house is just an activation of what the platform does. I think the story is still TikTok and how how important it is or still how probably not completely understood what it is that we have in front of us from a technology perspective. And I think at this time, especially in the age of coronavirus, the question I would have is you've got a lot of resources sitting idle, a lot of people sitting idle. If I was a brand, a retailer, or a CPG, I would be experimenting with this to an even greater degree than I am because one, people are a captive audience right now too. 
And the second thing is like deploy the people to do it, like come up with some type of scheme or competition where you're having your store employee who, employees who aren't working. What if they become your brand ambassadors? What if the local people in your local shop become your local brand ambassadors on TikTok? Jesus Christ, now's the time to experiment that in the lowest cost way humanly possible. And don't be afraid of the risk. Just tell people that you're doing it. No one's going to care. If you get some Yahoo out there that does something dumb, then pull it down. You know, no one's going to listen to that guy or girl anyway. Yeah. And I think, Chris, that's really important to point out that this, the story and the headline really this week is actually that those followers, um, even though the Hype House had, or sorry, not the Hype House, even though the Fenty Beauty House had to get shut down because of the coronavirus, that those followers are still extending the brand. They're still getting all of these views right. and interaction and engagement, even from their homes. So I think that's a great point. And that's Let's what the talk big... about that next week too. Yeah, like, we I would should... love to talk about that, you know, more about how we're connecting with people in home. And it's just something that's been so real for us, for me specifically over the last two weeks. I'd love to talk more about that because I think it's a huge conversation. Yeah, absolutely. We could even do something special on that too. We can start to think about that type of content. But but yeah, I mean, in retailers, have been, especially big box, big names, have so been so scared of creating that connection with people. And so now's a good chance to try to do that. You know, don't be afraid of the things that used to hold you back. All right, on that note... We're not going to hold this back any longer. We're going to bring this thing to a close. It's been a fantastic episode. We hope everyone is keeping as well as humanly possible. Like we said, we've had some great content this week. If you have a chance, check out uh, all the great podcasts we did focusing on women in retail. Next week, coming to your way on Tuesday, we also just did a new spotlight series that we're currently in the process of editing with a company called Truyo. And Trio is a leader in the digital privacy space, especially with everything coming out in Europe and in California around new legislation around privacy. You're going to want to give that one a listen. We, Anne and I did it yesterday. We learned a hell of a lot. That's coming your way on Tuesday. We're going to be a little bit of a skeleton crew next week. We're going to be doing some rebranding on the website, hopefully give you some, some new look at our creative. So we might be a... We might put out a little less content than normal, but stick with us. We're just trying to get the foundation and the house in order, so to speak, so that when all this blows over, we can come back better than ever and come out of guns and blazing on all the great content we try to provide you guys each and every week. So if you can, please do us a favor. As always, like, leave us a review, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever the platform of your choice is. Every difference makes a difference. And on behalf of Anne, Carter, and Emma the Intern, As always, and as I keep saying, it's more important than ever, be careful out there.